0: We're continuing with our series, Witnesses from the Book of Acts. Um, We have a talented group here. Uh, We have a great group of people here in North Dallas, uh, folks with a lot of different skill sets and backgrounds, and that is a wonderful thing. And every person is given the opportunity to use what they have for themselves or for the Lord. He gives you the freedom to choose to use your money and your talents and your your rugged good looks, whatever else he's blessed you with, to build your own kingdom or to build his kingdom. That's your choice. Uh, In the first century, the book of Acts, we are discovering this dynamic body of believers, frankly, on an adventure. Uh, They didn't know what would happen next. But they leveraged their possessions. They leveraged their, their voices, their stories, their lives, their families to reach out into this, this chaos, to reach out into this world and throw a lifeline to people without hope. And we're called to do the same thing. He gave them their roadmap, right, in, in, in the first chapter. He told them to go to Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus told them to go to those places, to go and share the good news, and and they did. Um, They did. He also told them that he would go with them. Until the end of the age, I am with you. Now, for most of us, our mission field is not going to be in the Congo. It's not going to be in Chad. Our, Our mission field is going to be where we live and where we work. We're all called to be missionaries, to be witnesses. And our mission fields are in our own backyards, in our own schools, in our own workplaces. But this is what I want to start out with, this key idea. Know this, that whenever we, cho- we choose to go for Jesus, He goes with us. We do not go alone. And this is exciting, exciting stuff when you realize that, that you and I, when we realize that we were designed uh, to be who we are, our personalities, everything's so different, so individual, God designed us this way, and when we live in that and we use that as a platform to share the gospel, it, honestly, it's a lot of fun. It really is. Is it challenging? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Are there unpredictable times? Well, certainly there are, as there are in any adventure, but it is an exhilarating thing to be on the mission that you are always destined to be on. Um, Did the disciples take the message of Jesus to heart, to go? Of course they did, because we're here um, we're in North Dallas on our, reading our Bibles on our smartphones or on paper. We're in a comfortable building, and so are thousands of other churches around the world. So they did go. They left Jerusalem. And the gospel reached out across international boundaries and cultural and religious boundaries to reach all sorts of people. But remember, they didn't go alone. The Lord was with them as they lived for Him. And we know that as a fact. We know God was part of this. I mean, you can deny it. You can say, I don't believe in God or I don't believe in the power of God that, that Tom talked about and that, and that we're talking about this morning. But I believe we know it for a fact because you see, right as this fledgling movement began to take off, began to get tractions, traction in that part of the world... The, the area in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem, the powers that be, everyone who was somebody essentially decided to try to stamp it out, to try to destroy the church before it really got going. But instead of crushing the church, what we see unfold in the book of Acts, and we know now historically, is that the movement went viral. Okay? Um, when Stephen, beautiful servant-hearted Christian, leader and preacher, when he was stoned to death, it it really was the beginning of of a a new chapter in the strategy to destroy the church, because from that point forward, uh, those who opposed Christianity would use all means, violent and nonviolent means, to try to crush the church. But instead, we see God was with it, because the gospel spread like never before. Um, have you ever seen one of those movies on TV, or uh, one of those movies, or w- one of those TV shows where where it, it, the the plot line is some sort of outbreak, okay, contagion or or virus that's spreading across across the planet? And in those movies, inevitably you get this scene where there are, are the the um, the inner circle that are that are going to solve the problem maybe the president is in there and the head of the cdc or different people in this room with this big fancy monitor and at some point they say okay here's what we project to happen uh, say the virus uh, has started here in baltimore and in two weeks it's going to spread out this far in a month it's going to spread this far in two months everybody's dead you've seen that they do that graphic well If you were to look at the map of the world, starting with the day of Pentecost, you would see that sort of contagious, um, viral growth of the church, except they weren't spreading death. uh, They were spreading life in Jesus Christ. And now the whole world has been turned upside down by the message of those witnesses. Well, in the persecution... We were introduced at the In the Story of Stephen last week we were introduced to a very important character a very important character in the New Testament named Saul who will become the apostle Paul he became becomes the tip of the spear he becomes the cutting edge of the persecution against The Christian church. He has been given authority by the religious leaders in Jerusalem to go around knocking down doors and hauling off men and women to prison, to trial, and possibly to death. Uh, But the result of all this persecution was not exactly what Saul had intended. The disciples to get away from him began to scatter outside of jerusalem scatter around that part of the world um, radiating outward and as they did they carried their story their witness to the gospel to the power of jesus christ so let's look at one passage kind of talking about this in acts chapter 8 verse 4 acts chapter 8 verse 4 If you would read that with me, let's read this one out loud together. Forced to leave home base, the Christians all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. They all considered themselves missionaries. They all were missionaries. It was not a select few. It was every Christian being a witness wherever they went for Jesus So the dynamic of these people who are willing to sacrifice, who are willing to give, to live for something beyond themselves, bigger than themselves, combined with this partnership of the Spirit of God working through them, well, it was unstoppable. And we know that historically. So one proof that God was with the disciples was the explosive growth of the church even In the earliest days, when the powers that be sought to destroy it, another proof that God was with this movement, and it is stunning, really, is how this message, the good news about Jesus Christ, overwhelmed barriers, prejudices, stereotypes that had separated people for centuries. Um, And this message, this good news united people from all sorts of backgrounds into the family of God. Moving through Acts 8, some believers who were escaping Saul out of Jerusalem, they fled to an area north of Jerusalem known as Samaria. Um, Samaria for Jews... Wasn't, well, it wasn't kosher. You didn't go there. You didn't do business there. You certainly did not mix with Samaritans. And Samaritans felt the same way about Jews. They did not like each other. The two groups did not get on well at all. But as these Jewish believers in Christ began to scatter, some of them went into Samaria and they shared their faith with people in Samaria. One of those is a guy named Philip. Philip would preach the gospel in Samaria, and at the same time, he was performing miraculous signs and wonders, healing the lame, casting out demons to kind of prove that that message that he was preaching was from God. And many Samaritans came to faith in Christ. All of a sudden, you've got these Jews and these Samaritans that are together in this thing called the gospel. Even prominent citizens like Simon the Sorcerer, um, a a celebrity in Samaria, came to faith in Jesus, although his story didn't quite go all all the right direction. Uh, But in Acts chapter 8, verse 25, so Peter and John are dispatched... Remember, the apostles stay behind in Jerusalem where they are are dispatched from Jerusalem. What's going on? People are being reached in Samaria of all places? And so they go to check it out. And, And so verse 25 there, after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned back to Jerusalem. And they, I love this, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. This is Peter and John, the leaders of this movement, post-resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter and John showing what it means to break through barriers, to reach across all of these, um, all these walls that have been set up and share the good news in all of these different villages. So back to this guy, Philip. Um, we can learn a lot from him, really. He was a Christian man who is not afraid to go to some weird places, um, exotic places, uh, and, and interact with different sorts of people all for the cause of the gospel. Um, Philip was the first, or maybe not the first, but one of many, I think you could say, bridge builders. In the New Testament, a person who connected people together who normally would not have been connected, normally would not have seen themselves as as natural allies, I suppose. Uh, He was one of those people who saw people on the fringe, on the outside, and helped bring them to Christ and bring them into the community of believers. He is building, just in Acts chapter 8, he's building bridges with uh, Samaritans and he's building bridges with Africans just in Acts chapter 8, reaching across all sorts of, of barriers to share the gospel. So, yeah, Samaria wasn't exactly a place that you would expect to find a, a Jewish believer doing ministry, but that's where you find Philip um, doing his work, and then he is sent on another adventure to another rather strange mission field. Usually missionaries like to go to places where there are people. Um, He is sent to a desert. Okay, No cell phone coverage out there on the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. Chapter 8 verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Um, So now he heads out into the middle of, of nowhere, out into the desert somewhere on this, on this road uh, between Jerusalem in Judea and Gaza, which of course is, I mean, to this day, is not exactly Jew-friendly territory, the Gaza Strip. But Gaza at that point was in Philistine territory, or that's where those routes were. So, so it was another odd place to kind of be headed out that direction. Um, he goes out onto this lonely desert highway, and he spots an African man on a chariot, okay, uh, with a driver. Um, now the fellow is obviously, I mean, just eyeball test, obviously a person of some power, uh, a person of some privilege. Regular folks did not have chariots. I mean, this is, a, this is an escalade of the first century. Um, regular folks did not drive a chariot, and he wasn't driving a chariot. He had a chauffeur. He's sitting there reading a scroll, right? Um, He's enjoying the ride because he has a driver and his chariot is luxurious enough that he can be comfortably seated and have have room even to take on another passenger. Anyway, the Spirit tells Philip, go get close to that chariot. So Philip took off running. By the way, I love that. The Spirit said, go, and Philip went. To me, so the man invited Philip to come up and sit down with him in the chariot and read the scriptures with him. The part of Isaiah that he is reading um, was, was, was about Jesus, it was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but it was very much about Jesus. It is a prophetic Old Testament text talking about the Messiah. So chapter 8, verses 32 to 33, the passage of Scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So that's a passage about, as Peter interprets it, uh, for the Ethiopian fellow. It is a passage about the Savior that would come and would willingly sacrifice himself to set the people free. And he used that passage to begin to talk about Jesus and the good news with this Ethiopian man. Now remember, Philip is a bridge builder. He understands that the gospel is not just for the white people, not just for the black people, not just for the Asian people or the Arab people. The gospel is not just for the rich people. The gospel is not just for the poor people. The gospel is for all sorts of people because Philip knows God. And God loves all people. So really, this encounter is going to blow through a ton of stereotypes and prejudices that could have and probably should have stood between Philip and this African man. Uh, This Ethiopian eunuch is an outsider in many ways. Um, Here's what Bible scholar Eric Smith wrote about um, the Ethiopian eunuch. There is a spatial dimension. The eunuch is traveling from Jerusalem to Gaza. So basically traveling in in the wrong direction. Traveling from Jerusalem towards Gaza. Then there is the political dimension. He is a foreigner and a highly placed one at that. um, Serving in the court of the Queen of the Ethiopians. There is an economic dimension. He is in charge of the treasury and being conveyed on a chariot with room for a guest, which suggests that he was a person of some means. And then there are dimensions of gender and sexuality. This person is a eunuch. So there are barriers, if you will, social, religious, and economic, and other Involving sexuality. By the way, the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 1 bans castrated men, emasculated men like this eunuch from coming into the temple area. So he would not have been able to go to running. God's idea. Who is the one that sent Philip there in the first place? The Spirit, this angel of the Lord. Who is the one that told him to get close to that chariot? God told him. So the Spirit led this man to Christ um, through Philip. And it's God's beautifully scandalous idea to reach across all sorts of human social barriers to bring people to Jesus. Amen? Now, so Philip shares the good news about how Jesus, God's son, came from heaven to earth, how he gave up his life, how he was this sacrifice. He didn't speak out. He didn't look to defend his own rights because he knew he had to be a sacrifice to save us from our sins. And now anyone who believes on the name of Jesus can find salvation in Jesus. He's the one that God's people have been waiting for and who will bring salvation to all people of all nations. And now this story has a really Really cool ending. We'll pick it up in verses 36 to 39. By the way, let me just say this right offhand. So, your Bible may or may not have Acts 8, verse 37. Probably. For 90% of us, our Bibles will skip from verse 36 to verse 38. Do not be alarmed. Relax. Breathe deeply. Um, it's probably in a footnote somewhere at the bottom. Uh, it looks like verse 37 was added later. That doesn't mean it's heresy. That doesn't mean that, it, that it's wrong. It was just probably added later. So most of the newer versions will leave verse 37 out. So we'll pick it up in verse 36. Um, By the way, that's the, if you believe with all of your heart, you may, uh, in response to uh, the eunuch's question here, which we find in verse 37. Uh, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? There's the question. And he gave orders to stop the chariots. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Um, I love that ending. I really do. So um, his response to Philip, he doesn't mess around at all. He believed in God. He loved God's Word. That's obvious. But when he believed on Jesus and when he understood the implications of the gospel for his life, he says, whoa, stop the chariot, there's water over there, I need to be baptized. And so immediately he puts on the name of Jesus in baptism and he is happy. He is ecstatic about this encounter that God has arranged and now that he is a follower of Jesus. So very quickly, and we're just going to kind of list these off. We won't spend a lot of time on these this morning. But very quickly, just some lessons I think that we can pull out of Acts chapter 8 about the unstoppable gospel of Christ. The first thing, the first bullet point there is that the gospel spreads because ultimately God is in control. Ultimately, it is not dependent on us on our resources, on our strategies, the gospel spreads because God is involved in the spread of the gospel. Remember, the angel of the Lord is the one that starts the whole thing out. Hey, Philip, I need you to go over here. So God is the one um, orchestrating this, making this happen. It didn't matter that people of power were trying to crush the church. That didn't matter. God was involved in spreading the word, and no human scheme could stop it. Now, we also see, what we talked about a little earlier today, this partnership between God and people, between God and and us. Um, So the second bullet point there, God, the gospel spreads when people are willing to go. That's our job. When the Spirit sends us, when God sends us, again, we're not talking about about crossing an ocean. Normally, we're talking about crossing the street. When we are sent by God on this mission, we go. And that's how the gospel spreads. The angel said, go south. Uh, So Philip headed south. Okay? Um, We are, we are, human beings are part of the project. Um, We are partners with God in the gospel. So, yeah, invite someone to Pumpkin Fest. Better yet, sign up, volunteer to help out at Pumpkin Fest. But invite someone. By the way, we, we have always had a really cool trunk or treat, which we started calling Pumpkin Fest. It's always been really cool. Last year, we had more people from the community, by far, than we have ever had. And this year, we're quadrupling the invitations that are going out to the community um, Chick-fil-A is giving out way more invitations for us this year. We, we're in four elementary schools instead of one. So it's really important that we we step up and help out because God's going to send a lot of people our way uh, come Pumpkin Fest time. But invite someone, be a volunteer, invite someone to church. Um, when somebody compliments you on what a great job you did or how beautiful your family is, you deflect the praise back to God. You're not... You're not wagging a finger. You're just saying, "Hey, I thank God, man. I, I definitely uh, outshot my punt coverage on this. My wife is way better than I deserve, but God is just faithful and taking care of me every step of the way." I mean, have, if, if you're a CEO or you manage an office, how about a how about a weekly prayer time with your office staff? Uh, whoever wants to come, come. We're going to pray in my office Monday morning at eight o'clock. Whatever. Um, find ways constantly. Look for ways. To share Jesus with others, volunteer for, for friends, friends Speak at Preston Crest. By the way, we've got a baptism coming up at Second Service, another friend Speak baptism. Uh, Raina is going to be baptized into Christ, and we're happy for her. Um, so say yes to God when He calls. That is how the gospel spreads. Also, um, the story about Philip and this Ethiopian clearly communicates that, this is the third bullet point there, that the gospel spreads. Because the Spirit is the one who fuels the mission, the power source. Not only is it God's project, like he's, it's, his, it's His plan and He's sending us, um, but He's actually fueling, He's with us along the way. So we find the Spirit is interacting, right, with Philip. Is talking. The Spirit is involved in this process from start to finish, including, I don't know what happens at the end of the story. That was kind of my favorite part of the story as a kid. It looks like Philip just kind of disappears or something. I don't know. Like he's teleported over to Azotus or something. Um, But but the spirit is involved. God is involved in the story all the way through. So we are called to partner with the Lord. It is important that we say yes. But we remember it's God's mission. And God's the one who's fueling it. Next, the gospel spreads because human barriers are useless to stop it. Human barriers cannot stop it. And by the way, I'm, I'm seeing stories all the time of Muslims being reached in the Muslim world for Christ, and now with the great exodus of refugees out of Syria and the Muslim world, now they're being reached in, in Europe by our churches and by missionaries in Europe and by members of the church sharing their faith through programs like Friend Speak in Europe. So more than ever, barriers are, are being broken down as the gospel spreads. Um, And then that verse, verse 1 and verse 4 from this chapter, a great persecution broke out. Those who had been scattered, though, they preached the word wherever they went. So the gospel is powerful. The gospel is unstoppable. Um, This story, I think, challenges us to never ever give up on a person. I mean, we may with our human eyes look at... That person will never accept Jesus because of X, Y, or Z. We cannot and should not do that because to do that, to to write someone off is to underestimate the power of the gospel. Um, When we moved to Rio, we spent, of course, we spent our first year kind of studying the, the city, praying over the city. Where should we plant the church? Of course, basically every day we're going to language classes trying to learn portuguese so that was our first year then we rented a facility in like the busiest part of town we could find it was part of town called moderated just a commercial hub hundreds of thousands of people going walking within walking within just a couple hundred feet of our church building every day and so there we were we started meeting having public worship services uh... with our with our terrible portuguese that we were still just trying to get a handle on and just in many ways, we're outsiders and we're like, God, if anything good is going to happen, it's up to you because we're, I mean, look at us. I mean, really. Um, and so God, in, given that busy part of town, uh, God brought all sorts of people um, past our building and into our building Into our worship services. There were families. There were lots of teenagers that came through, generally without their parents. They just came through and kind of formed a group there in the church. There were homeless people that came through. There was this transvestite guy that showed up uh, on multiple occasions to our worship services. And and I think it's because the gospel is so powerful, Um, it just draws people in. so it was in Samaria in the first century and it, it it was powerful in Rio and it is powerful in Dallas, Texas. But I'll never forget one Sunday, um, just weeks after we had started meeting publicly there, um, just a small little church and we're trying to get going and everything. And a few minutes after our worship time had started, these two guys came walking in, late teens, maybe 18, 19, 20-year-old guys. You know, you can spot like heavy metal rocker dudes, headbanger dudes. And, and they, you know, they just dressed the part. They, they, were, they were headbangers. And so they came in. We'd never seen them before. Uh, it was kind of hard to know what to make of these guys. But we had a lot of different people that were coming in at that point in time. Um, they were wearing jeans. They were wearing like Metallica t-shirts or something. And, and on their heads, this is the really kind of weird part. On their heads, they were wearing like big Afro wigs, like you might wear to a sporting event or something or Halloween or something. Um, soon enough, it kind of, so we're like, who are these guys? And soon, I mean, it really became clear pretty quickly what was going on. Um, we were there Sunday entertainment, okay? Um, they just sat on the ba- back row telling jokes and and making fun of us. And in the songs, they, were, they would wave their hands to the music and stuff like that. They were having a great time. Our Portuguese was terrible, so I'm sure they were having a good time with that. Um, and the church, just a few weeks old, wasn't very impressive at all. Um, so they basically just mocked everything that was happening. And we were their entertainment. They thoroughly enjoyed uh, their first worship experience with us. But, you know, they were, they were on the back row... They were reasonably quiet, and so we just kind of let them have their fun, and after the worship service, we completely ignored all of the antics, and we just started talking to them and and getting to know them and and learned that they were Claudio and Everton, Um, and they just came by to check us out. The wigs, I have no idea what the wigs were all about. I think they just thought it was kind of funny. They're messing with us or whatever, but the next week, they were back without the wigs, Okay, Uh, and then the next week they were back again. They kept coming back. Um, They kind of plugged in with the other teens there at the church, and in time both of them put on Christ in baptism. Everton and Claudio were are now brothers in Christ, and it is amazing to me how the gospel broke through all these barriers. I mean. Those guys will never come to Jesus. I mean, they're just here to make fun of us, you know? Um, But how the gospel reaches people like that. Well, last week, somebody tagged me on Facebook with some old, very low-quality photos. But from the early days of the church there in Rio, they tagged me, and I apologize at at the poor quality. Boy, that's really bad quality, right? Uh, But the two guys there on the right-hand side, there's two guys. uh, Far right is Everton, and next to him is Claudio. And I thought, wow. It just reminded me of their story this week as I was working through this text in Acts chapter 8. There they are wearing their Victory Church of Christ t-shirts singing in the youth chorus. I thought, man, it's amazing what Christ does when he gets a hold of somebody. And Everton turned out to be quite a powerful uh, minister they show up, zero intention of giving their lives to Christ, but here they are, disciples of Christ. Everton Everton had this gift of reaching people on the fringes because I think he was a fringy sort of person. And so whenever somebody came in that maybe was sort of a misfit or looked like they didn't belong, Everton was the guy that would put it, and he was just hilarious and, and easy to like. He'd put his arm around him. And he'd joke with them and he'd make sure he knew their name and he'd make sure that they felt included in everything. And I have no idea how many people were reached because of of Everton's um, presence in the church, but a lot of people were reached because of him. So there are a lot of reasons in Acts chapter 8, a lot of reasons, that Philip shouldn't have reached out to the Ethiopian eunuch political, social, religious, lots of reasons, um, but the gospel breaks through all sorts of barriers if God's people will go, if God's people will go. And finally, um, we'll finish up with this part about the unstoppable gospel here. The gospel spreads because it is good news. In fact, you know this, the evangelion the gospel, is literally good news And that's what it is, and that's one of the reasons it spreads. And you see it at the end of the story. The eunuch who is put on Christ in baptism, he goes on his way rejoicing. He is happy. It is good news. He hasn't been guilted into anything. He's like, oh no, now I'm a disciple. My life's going to be terrible. He's like, yes, this is what I've been looking for. He goes on his way rejoicing that God's Son died on a cross because of his love for us that is good news that's good news Um, that his death brings us forgiveness of all of our sins good news that it brings us freedom that's good news that his resurrection from the dead assures us that death for us will not have the last word that's good news the gospel is good news and people yes yes they may ignore the message. They may reject the message, of course. They may mock the message. But the gospel is good news. And if we allow our fears or hang-ups to kind of bottle up the story and not share it and hinder us, well, that's just sad because we're, people, we're keeping people from hearing the best news they could possibly hear. So finally, just to give us a clear idea of what it looks like to be involved in the message, and we're going to to be on, involved in the me- message, and we'll just go through these really quickly because um, we kind of talked about them already. Um, here we go. Our mission, collectively as a body of Christ and individually as disciples. Here goes three things. It is for my lifestyle to point to Jesus. It does no good for me to go around preaching or teaching or having Bible studies or praying with people when I don't love my wife, when I don't respect her, when I don't treat my kids well, well, I'm dishonest in business deals. So my lifestyle needs to point to Jesus. That's part of what it means to be a witness. My ministry points to Jesus. I use my time, my talents, and my treasure to join the body of Christ in ministry. And so that points to Jesus. And then my conversations point to Jesus. This is the one people are most scared about, but it's the one we've got to break through these barriers and introduce Jesus into our conversations. Not twisting arms or anything like that, but looking for opportunities to share our faith in Christ with people because they need Jesus. Salvation is in no other name but the name of Jesus. Anyone can do this. This is not rocket science. It's not scary, really. As disciples, we can do this. Not only can we do this, it is what we were born or born again to do, to be witnesses for Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray as we kind of finish out our time this morning. Lord, your good news, your gospel was unstoppable in the first century. It plowed through opposition and obstacles and reached all sorts of different people. May your spirits encourage us, kindle within us the joy and the courage to be on mission. Pour out your favor on this church, on Preston Crest. May we be a congregation full of missionary people In Dallas, Fort Worth, women and men who are passionate about the greatest, truest, best story ever told, the gospel. The story of your son Jesus giving his life to redeem us, to set us free, and to release us for your kingdom mission out into your world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.